Palace's last palace for just Ronaldo! on his right, hangs it up for Ronaldo, oh, nice settles, shoots, scores! Cristiano again! And he vaporizes the defenders! Ya acaba la derecha para Xavi. Asistencia de Xavi, mezca para esta, para Messi, 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 Immense Messi, Ankara 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 Protegeu, fez o drible, que lance do Neymar, que golaço! Gol! Guerreiro, here's Giroud, a deflection and Mbappé gives France the lead. The youngest ever goal scorer at a World Cup. For France, 19-year-old Kylian Mbappé. He just shook one, shook one. Welcome to the fifth episode of the of Stoppage Time, a soccer podcast. Um, almost said sixth episode. I'm like losing track of how many episodes I've done so far, and it really hasn't even been that many. But um, excited to have a, get our guest today, longtime friend of mine from college. When I met this kid, he was actually wearing a Chelsea kit. Um, which is oh kind of what sort of yeah sort of kickstarted our friendship. Um, we met in Booth Hall at Syracuse, and I literally was just like, "Oh, who do you got in the back of your kit?" We took the conversation from there, and then obviously we've grown to become really great friends. Um, since then, I mean, it's pretty unbelievable. I think that was literally eight nine years ago at this point, which is oh my god, it's been pretty a <laughs> pretty pretty deranged. But uh, today, this guy's living out in Los Angeles, California, working for ESPN FC. He's been working there for the past what three years now? Three years now, three years, yeah. And uh, I'd say when a lot of people when I talk to in a professional setting tell me that they're living the dream, I feel like this kid's living the dream. So <laughs> happy to have him on, Jack Patel. Welcome to the show. Matt, always a pleasure. Uh, I appreciate you having me here. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it myself. Um, want to tell us a little bit about, you know, like when I did meet you, it really, you really were wearing a Chelsea kit. <laughs> and believe it or not, like that was at the time where I feel like soccer was so far from the mainstream. Like today mm-hmm. it's being inserted into mainstream um, in the U.S., right? I think now people just hear about soccer. They watch the World Cup and they're like, oh, heck yeah, man, you, baby. Go champ. Let's go. They're the champs. <laughs> Like they, people just want to be involved with it, but you know, and I'm not saying that's not a bad thing either. I'm just kind of cracking the joke here, but like what got you into soccer way back then, back in, you know, I think it was like 2017, 2016. Dude, honestly, like I got into soccer pretty late in my life. Like I know you, you grew up watching it with your grandfather and, and like nobody in my family was a soccer fan. It's kind of something that like when I was in high school, uh, I had a few buddies who were interested and they were Chelsea fans and they're like, Oh, you should like, should definitely start watching soccer. I stopped playing when I was eight. Um, so that's when you I don't like running watching. No, definitely not. That's my problem. Hey, you know, I Sorry. was an aquatics guy. So yeah. <laughs> um, try to cut you off. But I started watching in the 2011, 2012 season, which like 
mm-hmm. was very lightning in a bottle for me to get invested because within a few months, like Man City won the league on a last minute craziness. And I watched that live. I remember watching it live. And then like a month later, Chelsea won the Champions League and one of the greatest like upsets in Champions League history. So like, oh yeah, from there on out, like I was hooked. There was like the storylines, everything. Um, and yeah, that's kind of, that's pretty much how I started. What made you particularly choose Chelsea? Just was it because um, of the circumstances? Yeah. I knew I wanted a Premier League team and I definitely was mostly a Premier League fan when I first started, um, which has obviously changed a lot since then. But uh, my friend was a Chelsea fan. They were easy to root for, you know, a popular team in the UK. Uh, I also always stand by this. Like, I'm from Chicago. My team suck. So, like, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to give myself the benefit of the doubt here and choose a team that will be genuinely competitive for most years. That's very fair, by the way. Yeah. It's like, it's it wouldn't be that fair for me. Like, I grew up a Patriots fan, right? All the Boston sports teams are good. Like, yeah. it would be it would be a sucky thing if I was just like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Man City fan. Oh. Man United, well, Man United these days are, are they're on the way back up, but either mm-hmm. way, no, I, I, I don't, I don't blame you for a second. Plus, Chelsea were seventh place. You mentioned that 2011-2012 season. Dude, they were not good in the press. They weren't good. That's the thing. They had literally, I think, Di Matteo was the coach, and he came. Yeah. In, I'm pretty sure mid season, like they were having. Yeah, because they hired Vias Boas, who like <laughs> one of the worst hirings ever. Yeah, yeah. No, I, you're. I mean, that makes sense. Can you tell me, tell us a little bit more about your role at ESPN FC? How, how did yeah. first of all, how did this kind of come about when you were looking for jobs? Like, you know, soccer is obviously a passion of yours. Mm-hmm. When you found out that this was an opportunity, like, how cool was that for you? And can you tell us a little bit about like what this has been like? Yeah, so I I got out of college. I remember, I, I had to graduate a semester late due to some opportunities and didn't really work out with classes at Syracuse. Um, and so I graduated a semester late. Uh, did not have a job coming out of college with my parents for two months, helped them move from Cleveland to Denver. So it was pretty chaotic for me. Um, but I eventually got a call from ESPN. I had applied about a month and a half earlier and thankfully had some connections who kind of helped push my application towards the front of the pile. Um, and I got offered about a month later and they, they asked me they're they're very like, Hey, what do you want to do? Like, like we have a lot of opportunities here. You're going to have to work some things you might not want, but what are you passionate about? And I was like, 100% soccer, first off. I know there's not a lot of opportunities here, but like, that's what I want to do. And so they immediately put me on an ESPN FC. Um, and due to some restructuring with like the program for production assistance, I got to stay on FC for, for a few years, which is not usual. They usually make people work on like Sports Center, do rotations. So I got really lucky. I got to stick with soccer. Hey, you make um, your own luck, bro. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was very fortunate for me because I, I did kind of learn like, it'll be tough for me to work on other sports in the industry besides maybe football. Like I, and that's just something that's kind of grown over the years. Um, but I first started doing a lot of editing video, you know, PAs just cut the highlights, um, cut sound, cut like all the video you see. Um, and then eventually I got promoted. I'm an associate producer now. So, uh, now my role is mostly, I'd say 90% graphics, basically anything you see on a seat on the screen, topic bars, full screens, I'm the one building those. Um, and, and that, that's a little bit of a challenge for me. I'm not always been like a typing words guy. I've never really been an English guy, but, um, it's, it's a lot different than something I've done in the past, but I really enjoy it. And, and I still get to work in soccer, right? My day to day is yesterday. I watched the, or two days ago, I watched the Elche game on Monday. Elche have no wins in the league, four draws, 12 losses. And like 
sweet. That was my job for the day. It was, it was, it's kind of something, you know? So it's like, to me, it's pretty crazy because you asked them to take on soccer responsibilities because of a passion. Yeah. But in the end of the day, what a great business decision that is for you. Like how many people actually know about soccer on like a global scale? Know about like the European games, the teams yeah. in Spain, the teams in Germany, the teams in England, et cetera. And actually get to enjoy it. Like people in your position, I feel like, do, do you work with a lot of people who are truly passionate about soccer? Oh, or- 100%. Uh, and the cool. nice thing is most of those people are passionate about more European soccer. Uh, I mean, no disrespect to the MLS, but like, I want to be watching the best of the best. No, that's what Europe. we're talking about here. That's what and, we're talking and, about here. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, what's tough in America. Like there are not, there's, we're one of the only shows that cover every major league in Europe. Most yeah. of them are centered around what the TV rights are, but like it, we talk about everything and anything. So um, it's been very good. Cause I can just, my, like I, I love soccer. That's my favorite thing. And, and I get to sit and just like invest all of it throughout my day. That's my job. And, and, and it makes it a lot easier. Who are the coolest people you got to meet working? At oh, ESPN my gosh. Um, I never got to meet personally meet Del Piero, but he, he's been on our show a bunch. So um, cool. um, Frank LaBeouf is, is uh, he's a regular on our show. World Cup winner with Chelsea. Um, great guy. Very, very nice. Um, great to work with. So he's definitely up there. Um, and then yesterday I rode the elevator with Michael B. Jordan, who wasn't there for soccer, That's despite really being cool. a new Bournemouth officer. Right. I literally parked my car, walking up to the elevator to get into the office, opened the door. There's like five people around the elevator, which is unusual. And I just look, I'm like, oh, it's Michael B. Jordan. So then I just I had I took the elevator up. It was very, very surprising to me. That's that's actually yeah. unbelievable. Did you say hello? Hello, Mr. Jordan. He was doing work and like. <laughs> I kind of want to make a joke about him being the Bournemouth owner because, like, I don't think yeah. anybody would have recognized that. But that was my thought. I'm like, oh, yeah, this guy just bought Bournemouth. Oh, my God. That would have been hilarious if there were other people there. And yeah. you're like, yeah, I know you. You're the you're the Bournemouth owner. So tell me about Dominic Solanke. What do you, what do you think about him? <laughs> I did think it was pretty funny how all of a sudden – and, like, I think Juventus have known, has known Wes McKennie is going to leave at some mm. point soon, right? Like, we could we could probably get – some decent yeah. change from him. Um, and I just think probably there are other teams where he's better suited to play. And all of a sudden, Michael B. Jordan takes over Bournemouth and there's a 40 million euro bid for Weston McKenney. I don't know oh if that was God. on accident or, but either way, um, that's awesome, man. I mean, like, obviously I'm so proud of you and very happy mm-hmm. to see your success. Um, so sticking with Chelsea. So, couple changes in the past year or so. Roman Abramovich leaves being yeah. the owner of Chelsea. How long, how long was Abramovich the owner of Chelsea? 20 years? Uh, almost 20 years, yeah. Yeah, I'm, so Todd Bowley takes over. It's an interesting cat. What do you make of Bowley? What do you think about this overall project? How are you feeling? I know Chelsea's in 10th place right now, obviously mm-hmm. in a tough situation. But I, from my perspective, there's got to be reason to feel, obviously, that you're going to get back to the top. Yeah. How do you how do how did you feel initially when Bully took over compared to where you feel today? Um, it was very clear to me that Bully was the fans and in general everyone's he was he was the best option for us in terms of potential owners coming forward. There were good bids, there were there were some not some great bids, you know, but it was clear that Bully was the guy who was going to invest a lot of money in the club and wanted to win, which is at the end of the day, that's the bottom line that the fans want to hear. You want to have an owner who's who wants to win. And obviously his history and success with the Dodgers was a good uh, point 
right? Like they have yep. always been good for the past 10 years. Maybe hasn't resulted in as many championships as they would have liked, but they've been in contention. Um, I think people, uh, it's, it's been a big gripe for me that people don't really understand like the timeline of what's going on with Chelsea, right? It's been less than a year since the club was legitimately frozen out of their assets, couldn't pay staff. And, and, and now people are wondering like, why, why is things going wrong with Chelsea? And it's, it's top to bottom has been a complete overhaul, right? There's, there's new trainers, there's new front office, there's new staff, there's new improvements to the stadium, changes to the artwork at the stadium, like everything. Um, and so it's, it is a club in transition. Uh, I was very excited for Bully. I didn't think it would be in the direction it's in take now, but I think there's a lot of promise in what he's doing. It's just very tough in the current moment, short term, to look at the long term, right? The long term vision of the club I can understand, but right now it's been very tough. But there's a lot of reasons why, you know? I think people underestimate the fact that Chelsea was probably put in a position that I don't think any other club has been put yeah. into, any other Premier League clubs been put into. Um, one thing that might, it doesn't get lost in this, but it's just certainly something we have to talk about as far as making this transition. You know, they fired Thomas Tuchel not long mm-hmm. into the season after a tough start to the year. What were your thoughts when that happened? And what would yeah. be the rationale for firing someone who's a proven great coach and just won you the Champions League after with a team that's like, let's call it as it is. How often does that team win the Champions I, League? Like yeah, that particular I will roster. Say, I don't think people give Tuchel enough credit for what he did with Chelsea in, in 2021. Not even close. Right. Like, like, especially now looking at it's the same players and look at what they're doing now. Exactly. Um, exactly. I think the thing that was very clear and Chelsea fans love Thomas Tuchel would have loved for him to continue there for many years. But what Todd Bowley wanted was a coach who was going to be collaborative, who was going to share ideas, you know, have conversations about what kind of players once, you know, he wants an openness. And he said that's a, that was a big issue at Chelsea. There was a big disconnect between the people buying the players and the people actually putting the players on the field. Uh, you know, when, when Christian Pulisic was bought, Maritza Sari said he didn't even know about the transfer, right? It's always yeah. been a problem. That's something that Bowley has worked to try and change. We've seen this in Tom Tuchel's career. He does not want to work with people above him. He wants to operate in his own space, and that's fine. That works He's for some people. He's a bit of a people. dick. He's, yeah. yeah, and that works for him. That works for some people, and he is a highly successful coach, and I cannot say great things about him, but he didn't want to work with Bowley. And even you could see the like the reports were even when Bully tried to suggest things, right? I know like the, the Cristiano Ronaldo thing has been floated a ton, right? Ronaldo and and there were reports that Tuchel like lost his his mind when when Bully suggested Ronaldo. But there's something to be said that you could not lose your mind and just be like, no, this should not be happening. You know, there needs to be a constructive dialogue. And Tuchel wanted to work by himself. Um, do I agree with with keeping him on for seven games this season and then firing him and then hiring a long-term manager. No, but it would have been tough to get rid of him in the summer, right? That would have looked even worse before exactly. they had the whole um, slump. I think it, it, it boils down to who Thomas Ducal is and what he wants to do as a manager. And it just wasn't going to align with Todd Bowley. Um, if it had been the previous Chelsea structure, which was, he has some input on players, but you know, he, he, he can say no to certain players, but he does his own thing and the, the front office doesn't ask him questions. It would have kept going, but unfortunately, that's just not what happened, especially with all the off-field stuff going on with Chelsea. 
It's a really great point. I think you really just made made a point there that I don't think a lot of people think about. And it really has to do with Thomas Ducal's approach with working with ownership, working with this club. He's had issues like this in the past, even at PSG. Mm -hmm. That's the reason he was forced out, essentially. It's just he had a different vision for how he wanted to run the club versus what the PSG brass wanted to do. And he's a great manager from a tactical perspective. He's pretty much... As far as I can see, he's as good as it gets. Um, and the players seem to really respect him. But And the key thing is all great managers have baggage, right? Mourinho has yep. a ton of baggage, right? All of them do. So with Tuchel, that was just not a, a point with Bully that he wanted to stick up, stick for, right? He wanted a manager that was going to work with him, and that was just not going to be Tuchel. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. The reality for Chelsea is that Bully's here. That's not changing. Mm-hmm. Ownership changed. That's a huge change. And I think you, yeah. you said it best at the beginning of the episode. Like maybe people weren't putting enough emphasis on how big of changes that needed to be made and were made for Chelsea. Yeah. Like that's why there's been so much chaos. And I think that they knew too that they would maybe they go through a rough period this season. A, the team's not that good. So what's yeah. your ceiling, anyways? And B, you can get back from this. Um, yeah. So as a Chelsea fan, just something that I always talk about myself and I'm jealous. It's, that's why I am. I'm really jealous of it considering like you look at Juventus, for example, and like not trying to use them as the only example out there, but like we could even talk about AC Milan, AC Milan won won Syria and they were able to sign Charles to which was obviously a very bad signing, but they, they were only (laughs) able to spend 40 million. Right. And that was, and then sign a couple free transfers like Origi. And then for Mm -hmm. Juventus, we signed Bremer. And which was a great signing up until last week. And he was our, he was our big signing for the summer. And then a bunch of other free transfers. And I think Philip Kostic was like 12 million in bonus. Um, It just, the spending power of the premier league teams is off the charts. Chelsea in particular is really, really off the charts. Mm -hmm. So you, when you get questions from or criticism from jealous people like myself who wish that they had the, or their teams had the budgets like Chelsea has, like, how do you feel? And like, overall, what do you think when you see your team is able to spend 300 million in an off season? Oh, 400 now. 400, 400. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, I will say, I, I think Chelsea's spending this year has been absurd, right? Like we haven't seen anything like this in years. Um, it, it's important to note, and I'm, I'm not a financial expert, but I've obviously been neither of my club. So it's okay. When, when Chelsea was sold, they were sold for a significant cut rate price, right? Because Abramovich couldn't take a profit off the deal. And so he pretty much had to sell it for a lot less than what it was really valued. So if you look at like what the sale price of Chelsea is compared to what Manchester United will be or Liverpool in a few years, completely different. Um, and so when when Bully was investing in the club, there was like a significant, like I think like a billion dollars and a significant portion of that was meant for, like it, it wasn't including the full sale, but he was required to invest this in the club, right? Okay. And it was in the contracts and whatever that he was supposed to invest in the squad, right? Abramovich wanted some reassurance that Bully would back up what he was saying about like, we want to spend money to win. That's um, interesting. That is interesting, but that obviously doesn't, uh, you know, take away from four hundred million. No, and but he, it's also he, interesting that Abramovich would make sure to preserve yeah, his legacy he, by ensuring that the next, and not just his legacy, but 
the Chelsea brand and yeah. legacy to ensure that the next manager was or the next owner was going to be fucking serious about mm-hmm. winning. And you could say make whatever criticisms you want of Roman Abramovich, but in the relationships that he's had over the years, by maybe by circumstance, I don't know. Yeah, but either 100%. way, you can you can you can criticize all you want. He wanted Chelsea to win, and you and, can't really yeah. deny that. And that was a big part of the search process. Um, now, in terms of the spending in the Premier League. It, overall, it's a huge issue, right? Today, Leeds United signed some Jorginho Rudy Rudder or something like that. Forty million. I've never heard of this kid. He's twenty million. Um, the Premier League is spending is, is is in significant crisis in world football, in my opinion. Right? They are outspending like crazy, and Leeds are a team that are going to get relegated. Nottingham Forest are a team that could get relegated that have made more signings than Chelsea this year. They're up to like twenty two. Yeah. So. I don't, I don't understand where, uh, I don't understand why some of these clubs are investing this much in players when they have a significant risk of being relegated, which would sign- like ruin their financial methods. Um, obviously, the Premier League is set up to have get more money from their TV deals and, and media sponsorships, right? That was the creation of the Premier League, and uh, it was a very smart idea, and it has obviously led to the explosion of the league. Um, and they get TV rights from everywhere, right? They get billions from America to stream the Premier League, whereas Syria in the TV rights are are significantly lower. Bundesliga, La Liga, right? Yeah, the Premier it's, League it, it's 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 in it's a huge inflation of like where this like this money, right? It's all in the Premier League now, and it's it's going to create such a lopsided um, like ecosystem in, in world football, right? And it has, and that's that's where we kind of are today. That's why you see things like the Super League come out. I mean, I, I don't think that's not really the solution, but that's the reason yeah. why they came up with the Super League is because people – But it, it's such a significant problem in terms of like – it's going to create such a gap between these leagues now. No longer well, a big five. It pretty much is. Like, And, and that's – I would say it's pretty much already here. I'll be honest with you. Like as, yeah. a, as a Serie A fan – I know for a fact our teams just can't compete with even the fifth, sixth best Premier League teams out there. And that's, again, that's why you had Agnelli and Florentino Perez, who were not my favorite spokespeople at all for, you know, for anything in soccer. And that's a big, unfortunate piece. It was the delivery. It was the people involved. And, it was the lack of it was the exclusivity aspect of the mm. Super League that caused it to fail. But something's gonna have to give at some point. Like teams in the German league, teams in the French league, teams obviously in Italy and even in Spain too are gonna start getting sick of this because you see some examples even this season. Like Leeds was fighting with AC Milan for De Ketterle and they were going to bid yeah. 50 million. AC Milan lost Sven Botman to Newcastle, who's Sven Botman's the best center back in the Premier League He's this so season. so good. Total hoss. And uh, we could talk about Newcastle for hours, man. No, I literally, dude, same here. I, I love the way they play it. I've been, I've, I've loved seeing their team and Eddie Howe and all their success. Like they're a good team and I'm happy for them to get some investment. Um, but either again, we could like you said, we could talk about Newcastle for a while. But point being, he had chosen AC Milan, and Newcastle just ultimately made uh, Lille at the time, who where Botman was playing, an offer that they couldn't refuse. So you see these examples all across the board, and 
I think we're already at an inflection point. So you got to wonder when a potentially like new super league could get formed. I talked about this in one of my episodes uh, Mm -hmm. previously, but there is talks about a new super league being started by Barcelona ownership, or at least like they're bringing forward the idea. And the idea is that you loop in the like Portos and Romas of the world so that you can kind of take away this idea that like this is a super exclusive kind of team kind of league no promotion relegation you know like and you create a sort of super league with the teams that aren't involved in the premier league mm-hmm. and you create it so that it's competing with premier league viewership the league would never happen but if they even brought the idea forward it would potentially spring uefa or whoever that needs to to actually, it, it probably is UEFA only to actually yeah. create some change and start enforcing financial pl- fair play, and start investing in the Champions League teams that make it. Like, I don't know the solution either, but you got to wonder when at some point it's going to start because I think it's they we're already there. People are saying we're we're, we're in a really bad spot, right? Yeah, and you like you can criticize the Super League all you want, but the teams that are still in it, Real Madrid. Juventus and Barcelona are only in it because they know their leagues are failing in terms of viewership and money. So they want to protect how good they are because they've been dominating their leagues and Real Madrid has been dominating the Champions League. But that's not going to keep happening if the Premier League becomes so big. Absolutely. Those guys aren't going to go. Yeah, It's my opinion. It's hard to criticize those clubs for wanting to stay because when the Super League was formed, what did UEFA do? They wanted to protect what they have, which is the Champions League. It's all yeah. about money and people trying to keep track, like keep their money to themselves, right? Absolutely. And, and it's the biggest problem in soccer. There's corruption everywhere. There's bad people running these clubs that all they want to do is do it for money. So, and and it, I don't know what the solution is, and I don't think like I think we're in a very very bad spot. And I, th- I know you agree with that, like. I don't know what's going to happen next, but I'm not looking forward to it. My only solution that I can see is all those teams that I mentioned before actually go and start a Super League. And the reality is it would never end up happening. The Premier League would never allow there to be a scenario where, like, you know, Barcelona's playing AC Milan on the same day that, you know, Bournemouth plays Fulham or uh, Man United on that same day is playing Arsenal. And it's like it totally takes away from that viewership, which otherwise, like, they would have gotten the viewership over, like, some rinky-dink Serie A game where, like, AC Milan's playing, like, Spezia or nobody. You know what I mean? Like, they're going to make sure that they protect themselves, too. I think that's probably the only solution. Either way, we could probably spend a whole episode or two on that. Um, I want to stick on Chelsea. You know, this season's been a grind, right? This team really has no identity. I can't really figure out under Potter how they want to play, and lot is in flux. What do you see as the best case scenario for the end of this season? Well, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a very realistic person. Um, there, there's no shot in hell that Chelsea makes top four, right? No yep, way. I agree. And you know what? In my opinion, that's that's fine given everything that's happened. Right? I was going to ask you if that's a good thing. Yeah, like it's a very American point of view, but teams need to go through rebuilding processes. You know, Chelsea was always just retooling, retooling, retooling. And look what has gotten them. You have Peppa, who was signed under Conte. You've got Jorginho and Kovacic signed under Sarri. You've got Havertz signed under Lampard. 
you, you, you've got players signed for Tuchel. You've got now players signed for Potter. That's six, five or six different managers and all these players bought over the years. So uh, what Bowley's trying to do is bring in players that will hopefully develop. Like he's clearly targeting younger players. Um, and, and finally he's bringing in Potter players, but I think we're going to see this summer at Chelsea, a mass exodus of players because they have to get rid of, of people. Um, yeah. Right now, the, the goal for Chelsea is to see improvement on the field, right? Whatever that might look like. It might look like in wins, but for, for Graham Potter, I know, and he's he's reassured this, he's not going to get fired this year, no matter what. He, he's yeah. been put in an impossible situation. So what he needs to do is figure out which of these players are going to stay, which are worth playing for the team and and can consistently play at a high level because many of them have not done that. And he needs to develop a clear identity and path of, of what he wants his football to look like over the next however many years. Um, now, the reason I have faith with with Potter and what's going on is because he's done that before. Look at how good Brighton is. I know they've got Deserby now, who I think is a phenomenal coach. But, like, look at how good each and one, each and every one of those players are individually. And, and yeah, like, man. you could just tell everything that, that Potter had done in three years he was there. Um, and I know he's he's had some uh, – he had another club he was working with in, in Norway or Sweden or something. But, I mean, Brighton is great evidence of, like, everything he's done as a manager. All those players for Brighton, not only do they play at such a really high level, and, like, maybe there's a little bit of a luck element to the point where, like, I don't – like, that midfield, the McAllister and Caicedo, like, perfect midfield, totally yeah. complimentary the way those two play. Like, they're just an example of, like, maybe you've got the right players at the right time. But, like, I look at that team, and I feel like everyone knows their role, and everybody on that team is so good at what they do. Yeah. Like, I give I, – I couldn't agree more. I give the credit to Potter for laying the groundwork. Credit to Deserby for now coming in and still He's playing awesome. Kept going. And, right? And kept, exactly, which is not easy to do either. Um, but really credit to him for laying the groundwork yeah. and building and like, a team like that. The thing about Brighton is, like, they are winning games and getting points this year. But, like, if you think about the last two years, they were kind of a meme team because we always used to, like, oh, look at the expected goals total. They should have won this game. <laughs> It's yeah. not to say they haven't been playing well for years. They just no, put exactly. the ball in the back of the net. And they pieced and it together. And now we're finally seeing it all come together, you know? Yeah, no, dude, we've seen this with quite a few teams in the Premier League at a different level, right? And Brighton certainly are a great example of this because it's a cool story. You wouldn't expect it, a Brighton It goes to back be to in. that rebuilding thing, right? Yeah. I'm not saying Chelsea should miss the, the, the Champions League for five years, but Arsenal obviously have not made the Champions League in a while. And look at what they've done with their club. They took the time, but I think when Arteta started, he had like Willian, Aubameyang, and Lacazette as forwards. He had David Luiz in defense, um, like like just some crap, crap players. And what they've done is gotten the, the, the dirt out of the club and brought in young, exciting players who buy into the system. And that is what Chelsea's trying to do. It's on a completely different monetary scale than than Arsenal, but that's what that's what clubs need to start doing. They need to start doing what Man City has kind of done. In a hundred percent, you know? no, hundred percent. Um, I think Arsenal was going to be my exact example of what, like, what happens <laughs> when you build. Like, I mean, they were eighth place two years in a row. They finished in fifth, and probably you could argue they kind of blew it last year, and they should have been in the championship over Tottenham, yeah. right? And that should have been like the progression that they made. Instead, they're here and about to win the Premier League. Um, sticking on Chelsea, though, you know, like, what's like kind of the vision? 
for the future? Is it? Can you see Chelsea with the, especially with some of the new signings? There's talks that obviously I know Battishield just signed, but there's even talks that Gavardiol might join this this upcoming offseason. Shaw Felix, if he sticks, tough first game, but it's un, I think a little unlucky, like yeah. just kind of a weird moment, right? Like, he was he looked awesome before. I was going to say, do, I will say doing great I things. Was, I yep. was all over it. No, hundred percent. I mean, like you got Modric now. Jaw Felix, maybe he sticks around, could potentially shape up to be a pretty damn good team. Do you see them playing the kind of like aggressive attacking football that you see in a lot of cases from Arsenal? But like, I think we just talked about it with Brighton, like, yeah. you know, sort of similar style, possession based, but like aggressive, like, like a fluid system. I, and I think that's what they're trying to do. Um, a lot of people say there's not like a, a, a like the way Chelsea's investing, it's chaotic, they don't know what they're doing. But there's one constant with pretty much every player they signed is they've all been young. Bar, yeah. Koulibaly, and Sterling, they're all like 25 or younger. Mudrick is, is, is I think he's like 20. I don't even know how old. He's, he's very young. Thaddeus Shields very young. Wesley Fofana. They, they're, they're investing in young players and getting them on long deals. Um, I think, I, like I said, we'll see a lot of player turnover. But I think Potter is trying to build a very fluid system and that's what he likes to do. He likes to have formations that shift mid-game and and have players who can play in multiple positions. I mean, Cucurella can play left wing back, can play back left center back in a back three, right? So tactically yeah. flexible players. Interesting, um, yeah. I, but again, young players who will develop. Um, Mudrik obviously signed for $100 million, a ton of money. But he signed till 2031 – and he's making less than a hundred thousand a week, which is three times less than Raheem Sterling makes. So really you can see the way they build the club. They're they're doing things differently because the previous Chelsea ownership gives out massive contracts. Callum Hudson Adoy makes 150k a week, and he doesn't even play for Chelsea. But is Sterling gone? Yeah, I think, I think Sterling's. Ugh, I don't know. It's it's tough to say. I I think very highly of Raheem Sterling. I think he gets a bad rap. He he's not the best finisher. But in terms of his career, like you can't doubt how good of a player he's been. He's one one of England's best players um, over the past ten years. I don't think he's going to stay as long as as he would have thought. But there is an element of needing some some sort of veteran leadership there. I can and see that he's, he's, he's the veteran guy. I was going to say he's still young enough where he could be potentially that veteran guy that's in his prime. You know, kind of helping the young young forwards, which you're going to have a lot of them now. Um, you know, grow into their roles. It's an interesting case, though. How much does he make a year? He makes like like it was like two seventy, which which is a lot. Um, I, it's obviously like it's like probably top ten in the Premier League. But given his accolades, that's the kind of player you pay a lot. It obviously just hasn't worked out in terms of what's going on on the field. I yeah, again think very highly of him. Five k a yeah. week. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. Can you imagine then, making that again, kind of money in your life? <laughs> If Mudrick pans out, like you've got this kid on an eight-year deal of less than a hundred k, and if he yeah. doesn't pan out, it's much easier to move a player on a long deal only making less than a hundred k a week. No, that's very, very fair point. That's a really fair point. But um, there's a lot of dead the salary, big time. What do you think of my boy Koulibaly? Why has he it been such an up and down season for him? Is it just is it just the environment and the situation he's in, or do you have like long term fears about him as a player? He's a tough one because he's one of the first 
players in a while that Chelsea have given a long contract to who's over 30. Um, and he's he signed a bigger contract than, than most would have given. But I, I always thought very highly of him. I think right now what's happening, he's, he's really struggled to adapt to the speed of the Premier League. Right. He, I'm not trying to overvalue in terms of like, oh, the Premier League is such different football than Serie A. But there are significant differences in just the way the game's played. I agree. And he had been in Italy for so long that you just get used to something like that. Right. So then when it's you go a much play slower, the more tactical I've, game. There's no yeah, doubt about that. You've got time to process. And, and that's, the game's just played differently. He's just struggled to adapt. I think he will eventually come around, but. Um, it also doesn't help that he's played like left center back center. center. He's played everything, right? That yeah. There's been no constants in Chelsea's lineup and, and there's a lot of changing pieces and, and that's very hard to adapt to, especially when you're a new player in a new league. Yeah. Physically, I think he's got all the abilities to do it. Like I watched him for eight years at Napoli and he's one of the best center backs that I watched in Serie A. Like, yeah. yes, he's incredibly physical. He's got great positioning, but like, and that did suit him in Serie A that the style of play definitely did suit him. But I think physically he's totally capable of play, playing in the Premier Dude, League. Absolutely. They, just get, they just need to get him around the right kinds of players. The same time though, the way they're talking, I don't know if he's going to have the opportunity. Like maybe no. this, maybe the yeah. situation is that like they keep him there as like a, a veteran guy, but like, I don't know if he's really going to be there for that much longer. Um, Batashiel, I feel like is a really great signing dude. Like as a yeah. talking about left center backs, man, like he's been awesome for Monaco. I I didn't know he was going to go for that big of a fee, but I was hoping Juventus were going to find a way to swoop. swoop yeah. in because he's an awesome, awesome player. And already he made his debut against palace. And, and like, I was very impressed for a player that young, to play with the ball at his feet as a center back. I, I was thoroughly really impressed. good. Right. Yeah. No, I've seen some great stuff for him at Mo- from him at Monaco when I've been able to tune in. And then obviously with France, he's had a few games that he started and he's looked really good. Um, he mm-hmm. can play in a back four. He can play in a back three, like really good player to have there. So he might, he might be kind of on the way out. I feel for him, you know, he had a great career at Napoli. So uh, you, you mentioned and it. Honestly, he came at Chelsea at the wrong time. If he had come Definitely. five years ago when we were linked with him would have been great, but hundred percent, uh, and it's a shame, but I we're gonna see this with Pierre Ob- Emmerich Aubameyang. I don't think Foley cares how much money he spent on a player. If you're not performing, I think he's just gonna cut his losses. And, you're out of there, right? And that's I don't think do we've it. ever seen that with with anybody. But that's the way to do it. If you're not gonna perform and the manager doesn't want you, like I don't think Foley cares. Like I think he's like, all right, see ya. Yeah, very yeah, ruthless I- in that sense. I think they have to be, and they're in a position yeah. where they can be, and that's one of the most important aspects of this too. You, Chelsea you... has more players making like just freeloading off the club. We had Danny Drinkwater and Ross Barkley here for years, right? Like, yeah. you've got to be ruthless and get these players out if they're not good enough. Hundred percent. And there's no more time to waste anymore with Chelsea. You mentioned something that I wanted to make sure we bring up. Um, you talked about Aubameyang, and you, you know going into the season everyone was talking about what's going to be the Chelsea solution up top are they going to play Havertz as a false nine okay they tried a little bit of this uh doesn't really seem to work out they bring in Obama Yang I mean I think that was a prayer if we're being yeah. honest like it was kind of a shot in the dark he wasn't that, eh, good. that was a Thomas Dougal signing yeah Dougal wanted yeah, was, somebody and we need a striker and it was like boys familiar like, oh, with 15 him. million he's familiar with them he's got a reputation in England you bring him in 
little bit of a shot in the dark. Doesn't pan out. I don't think anyone's really that surprised about it. You've said something to me, uh, I believe, this week, and I think you're totally right. It's like when we were talking about the Mudrick signing, and of course, like that's a good signing to say the least, right? Like when you look at the talent there, like at one point, like that that level of talent, like you're gonna get something out of that, right? You hope he, you know blows up and becomes an unbelievable player, total world beater. But like, you're going to get something out of that level of talent at the same time. I feel like one of the areas that you guys need to address now is just, you need a striker. You need a dependable striker, like yeah. more, more so than anything. Um, who do you think that is? And why? That, that is a very loaded question because since Drugba left, that's been Chelsea's biggest issue. Um, yeah. And we've tried, we have tried to fix it. And you can't fault the club for trying. They just continually bring in the wrong players, right? And at the wrong times. But for me personally, um, obviously, I don't think there's anybody at the club right now that that is filling that role. Um, I've no. wanted it to work for Kai Havertz. I don't think it it hasn't worked. And I think he should be moved on in the summer. Um, I don't know. He, he's a Thomas Muller player. I don't know what his best position is. He's a great player. I don't know where to play him. And that's a problem. And if he's going to be your number number nine, he's not because he doesn't score enough goals. If I had, you know, and Chelsea does have an unlimited bankroll apparently at this point, Victor Osiman is the guy I'm bringing in. Dude, we have on. seen everything from this guy this this year especially, but in years past, he is he is the he's I want to say he's the next big forward, but like he's already up there in my opinion. Yeah, he's, what he's doing at Napoli this season is probably going a little under the radar because Kavara has been so otherworldly. But yeah. like, you see the combination of the two of them. That's why they're. Oh, and tonight. I know we're, we got to talk about that that game last Friday. Like, oh my! I have never seen a duo like that just pick apart a defense. It's been a long time since I've I, seen a two. First of all, I think you're pretty spot on. If I could think of the guy who's going to be Chelsea's next great striker, I think it's going to be him. I don't think any other team can afford him because they're going to have to pay mm -hmm. insane amounts of money. Yeah. And I think it's a perfect scenario for, for him. If he goes next year, say Napoli wins Serie A, they're going to, right? Like AC Milan wow. just got shelled today in the Super Cup by Inter, yeah. right? They look way oh, totally on the way down. I'm not saying they can't bounce back a little bit. A lot of the players that they have, it's like it's the same core that won them Serie A last year. I'd argue yeah, Serie A. Caught was, a little bit of a lightning in the bottle, you know? Dude, Serie A was not at the level that it normally is. No. They, well, today it's still not at the level that it normally is. But, like, last season especially, who was good in Serie A? There was a point where people were wondering if Juventus was going to make a way its way back up to the top. Like, there was no competition there. Credit to them still. I don't think anyone picked AC Milan to win the title last year. Um, I, I look at Napoli this season – and I think they're winning the title and they're also like deserved title winners as well. I, I think that if you look at this season, they're just playing the best football in every area of the pitch uh, that they possibly could be. Like you really can't like poke that many holes in this squad. And so Napoli's probably going to win this. He can take his trophy, go to Chelsea then have the opportunity to play in the toughest league against the toughest competition. We know physically, yeah. physically he can handle it. Watch that game against Liverpool that Napoli oh played. Oh my God. Like, dude, he was a beast. He didn't score in that game, but mm -hmm. everyone noticed him for his energy and the runs he was making and his physicality. Like 
that's exactly what's going to fit in the Premier League. Now add in the fact that his finishing's deadly and he's a really smart player. Like he's going to be a monster for a long time. So I do think that is the that's the move. Chelsea right, if there's makes, one I guy think, to sign right now that's not currently at a big team. It and big team being relative, right? I'm talking the Hollands. Like he is the guy that everyone should be trying to sign right now. I don't know how he isn't like isn't the most talked about player. I think I, uh, dude, I don't know either. I, I well, the, it kind of goes back to what I was saying before. Is I just think everyone's overshadowing him, but he's getting a little overshadowed because we might not have seen anything like Kavara in a long time. Like no. some random 20 year old kid that no one's ever heard about that all of a sudden is like a freakishly good dribbler. He's they can't touch him. He's they can't, can't touch you can't him. stop him. Yeah. You just can't stop him. One-on-one. I don't care who you are. He will kill you. If you're in a position, if he's on the flank, he can whip in a beautiful cross. If he's kind of drifting a little bit more into midfield, he can send in a perfect pass. He can shoot from distance. We've seen that a few times. His finishing mm-hmm. inside the box is incredible. He can play any forward position, it looks like, and he's good with both feet. Like, how are you going to stop this? Guy? And he's huge. And he's huge. He kind of rem- he's like the Holland of left wingers. And I say that not to be cheesy. I more say it in a way that, like, he looks like a robot. Like a video yeah, game. he needs to be taken that seriously, right? Exactly, Ex- exactly. And he's like going to be accounted for like that, and he is. If you look at all the all the games that he's played after the break, which by the way is coming off of like a pretty big ankle injury, like he if played that first game against Inter Milan, they gave him a ton of attention. Inter won one nil, and everyone's like, "Oh, Kavara could be in some trouble." Comes back the next game, has a solid game, rips up. Juventus in the next game, right? Yeah. Juventus at the time had yeah. given up seven goals all season. They give up five. And like, to be fair, you like, haven't given up a, like a Serie A goal in like two months, obviously with the World Cup break in there. It was like 10 games. Oh, and then so these guys just run riot. To be fair, I think there's two things I want to point out. Number one, I'm not discrediting Juventus because I think if Allegri would, you had asked him, like, how are we going to play? What's the style going to be? And how are we going to win? The team pretty much executed that for 10 games, for like eight games straight perfectly. So I give him a lot of credit, but the reality is we aren't that good of a team. If you look at our center backs, like Danilo's doing an amazing job this year, like playing, being a jack of all trades, like he can play at any defensive position, right? But like he's your second best defender. And then your best is Bremer, who's awesome, but the rest are terrible. I, like, we don't, I mean, you guys, once you start the Napoli game, it was Alexandro. Alexandro. End of story. Not a center back. End of story. End of story. Bremer, who, again, very good, but had a bad game. And then Danilo, yeah. who can play center back, but was also a fullback. Dude, exactly. It was, it, we're having, we have a really interesting situation just in terms of personnel um, defensively. I think it's something that probably gets a little underlooked because it's Juventus and everybody associates them with like, oh, they have the best center backs. They have the best defense, but like, no. Since Bonucci and Chiellini, we have had a really, really hard time. Like, it, 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 either way, I want to point out with that Napoli game that, like, yes, Napoli absolutely deserved to beat us. If anything, I, I'd even say they probably deserved to crush us. But if you look at that game, dude, Bremer, three horrible mistakes. Yeah. Didn't make a mis- He did not make a goal, a mistake leading to goal in Serie A up until that point. I mean, he yeah. makes three insane, insane mistakes. Like, <laughs> mistakes I just had no idea he was capable of. And, like, to be honest, like, I'm going to view him differently now. Like, I'm not saying that, like, he can't redeem himself. Of course he can. He'd been nothing but good to that point. But mm-hmm. 
crazy, crazy game. I look at that. If he doesn't make three horrible mistakes, we lose that game like 2-1 and Napoli's the better team. Or maybe it's 3-1. They get it like – that's. It not definitely wasn't a 5-1 game, which no. it gave a lot of credit to, to Napoli's attack. But also, it was a little bit overblown in terms it was, of it you guys were in that game for a while. It was Definitely it was totally overblown. Exactly, it was totally overblown. We actually and responded we, really well yeah. to that first goal, and we and we have to give credit to Allegri because, oh my God, was it horrible this fall? And like you the know worst team anyone, ever. Like the worst team he, ever. He has he has done a very good job since getting knocked out of the Champions League. You can't fault that. My prediction for him is that he steadies the ship, gets us to second place this season, and I'm hoping we find a way to move on. I appreciate yeah. everything Allegri's done. He's already his resume is set. It's a good resume. He can also at some point maybe move on to international soccer where it's like it's a little less tactical. Um, and it might be a decent fit for him. I don't know. There might be something else for him, but like he won five titles, I'm pretty sure, with Juventus. Well, if Conte won three. Yeah, he won what six then? Yeah. So it's like so unbelievable resume. He won a title with AC Milan, stopping Mil- uh, Inter from going on their three uh, three or four title run. Like he has an awesome resume as it is. I don't think that there's going to be that much more he can prove. I don't know if his style really does work with the modern game. Like, I don't want to watch Chiesa as a right wing back for another fucking oh, minute. Bro. I don't think I can do – I don't think I can deal with this anymore. You look at this That's kid why I'm got- excited about Potter is Chelsea was always a Mourinho, which at times was fun counterattacking, but like Mourinho, Conti, even Sarri's football at times was yes, like, oh, my God. And then Managing we had Tuchel – who was, I mean, a great, great coach, but oh my God, the football was awful so many times. Dude, it absolutely. I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm hopeful of seeing some sort of change. I respect, unlike a lot of people, I do actually respect that Max Allegri is a good manager for yeah. his own, in his own way, but it's, we've got a situation at Juventus that we've probably never had before. A, we have young players, which like I can't remember. Like Marquisio is the only Juventus youth player yeah. that I can really think about that's like made an impact. Like right now, I I legitimately believe one hundred percent that in two three years, Illing Junior, um, Fajoli, Nicola Fajoli is a midfielder. Yeah, for one us. of those guys. I think Illing Junior is a Chelsea former Chelsea guy. Illing Junior is English. Yeah. Yes. So Ealing Jr. is a left winger. I believe him, Fajoli, and Moretti are all going to be starting Moretti, for Juventus. Very, good, yeah. very, very good for their age, right? Moretti's 19 years old. Like, it's ridiculous that he's already played as many senior matches, started as many senior matches, and held his own. Um, and also, like, shown creativity and the willingness to do things that are a little bit, like, above what he's maybe – physically capable of at the moment. Like I like his confidence and I love Fajoli. I think he's going to be an even better player, believe it or not. But like, that's one thing. And the other piece of it for Juve, which is really cool is that we have great attacking players. Like we have yeah. Chiesa. Chiesa is unbelievable. I think we all saw this in the Euros. That was the last time he was healthy. The guy's just a world beater when he's on, right? Like he can dribble past anybody like water. It's easy. And He's a creative and confident player in the final third. Okay. Flavich, we can't waste this moment. Dude. Like we can't no. we, we can't keep wasting this moment. And that's my biggest fear with Allegri is 
he's totally fine with how our strikers have played. Like if you look at Moise Keane, like Moise Keane's a totally different player this year. He's totally unselfish. Yeah. He's not ever going to like, he's trying to score goals when he has the opportunity, but like that's not his priority. He's so matured a lot. He's totally mature. Yeah. Now we don't need to do that with Vlaovic. We need to get that fucking kid the ball and we need to give him opportunities because he's had none. It, it, like to start this season, I think it was a miracle that he had like as many goals as he had to like, yeah. it, so we can't squander this opportunity before we, before we drop off. I don't want to keep going on Juventus. Cause as you know, I could probably go for a <laughs> we while. Could talk but, hours, yeah. yeah. I want to talk to you just really quickly to round off the premier league. You know, how do you, how do you see the top six finishing out? Let's start at the bottom and we'll go all the way to the top. Um, I will say I, uh, I think Chelsea will finish worst out of the big six. Um, to me, that's not a concern. We've talked about it. If anything, it'll just be a good, like, wake-up call for a lot of the players. And and just a, the club needs to transition, and sometimes you need to sink deeper into the hole to transition. And I think Liverpool will also finish outside the top four. Now, to Agreed. me, that is completely <laughs> unsur- unsurprising com- considering last season. The two teams who played the most yeah. games last year, Liverpool and Chelsea tied at 65. Liverpool went... And they played every single possible game last year. They lost the Champions League final 1-0. They won both English Cups on penalties, and they lost the league by one point. So obviously, like, they're, they've played a lot of games. Chelsea played a lot of games. And Chelsea lost both those league Cups on penalties. So it's two teams who have played a ton of games in the past two years, a ton of players who left for the World Cup who yep. are just not performing – there's no, they're not going to just turn this around midseason, you know. I agree. This is a transition for Liverpool in their own right too. Yeah. But they're doing it to their credit. Like they're bringing in Gatbo, they're bringing in like other. They're going to bring in other big name players yeah. too. Like you know, this summer they're going to sign some midfielders. Like they're going to be able to make the transition. But I agree with you. I don't think they finish in the. Uh, I don't. I don't think I, they're going to make European play, but they're not no. going to make Champions League. Chelsea, I don't think will make European play. And I don't even think that's a bad thing. You give the players if those players do not want to be playing the conference league. Well, can you imagine Uh, a scenario where Chelsea has a really good team and they don't have to play in European competition? They're focusing only on the Premier League. You let some like the you know the last time that happened was was the last time Chelsea finished tenth. Conti came in and they won the league because the the rest of the league was in transition. And, And that's. And that's really what we could be seeing. Like Manchester City, man. Like, and I'm sure you're going to get to them in a minute, but like the overall level of play has dropped from them. I, it's just a fact. Like, yeah, maybe the system's more geared around Holland and they've gotten worse. And I'm not saying, tr- like, trust me, I don't want this to get misconstrued. Like, yeah, I think it goes without saying. Man City are better off with Erling Holland in their team yeah. than without, but they're not playing very well. And they've also gone through a lot of transition, right? Yeah. Raheem Sterling, gone. Gabriel Jesus, gone. Vincent Company is gone. Like, the, the early players, David Silva, Aguero, the early players of their early domination under Pep have all left. And now they're trying to transition the squad. The difference is they're set up infrastructurally better to have a transition and continue to compete, whereas Chelsea and, and Liverpool, to some extent, need to go through these transitions. Liverpool have been challenging for titles for five years now. That's a long time in soccer. And Ch- Chelsea has been challenging up and down, 
the same five years. So it's not surprising to me that these clubs are, are not playing well and need to transition. Yeah. The difference is just Man City set up better. Um, yeah. So Chelsea, Liverpool, no way they're making the top four. Arsenal, or not Arsenal, excuse me, Tottenham, no way they make the top four as well. It's over. Oh, <laughs> we we saw this past week. It's over. The way they over. start games is is not just like they've gone they do it down two nil like yeah. eight times this year. That is not sustainable. I, I I think Conte's gone after this year. I don't know why he ever signed with Tottenham in the first place. He knew what he was getting into. What a nightmare! Right? And what a nightmare! And now he's complaining. Now. He, he's complaining that that the, the sporting directors don't go to the media and the medics don't go to the media, and it's like. Well, I, I, that's how sports are, but also you're still not answering questions about why you're playing this way and why your team cannot start games. Like, stop trying to put the blame on other people. Your team is not performing. My hope is that Tottenham keeps going on this, on this wave and Conte leaves, and then all of a sudden Kulusevsky, who's still on a loan, to Tottenham yeah, comes back to, to Juventus. <laughs> I would love that. Either way, um, but Tottenham so, is, is 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 they've got old players. Harry Kane's thirty. Son, they're horrible. Son is is twenty nine. Which I, I well well we didn't see Son playing. Yeah, well his whole career, but I don't think we saw the drop off. That's been a big part of it, dude. It's like when you looked at that team on paper, especially with the way Kulusevski finished the last season, he made such a huge impact. I think it was like five goals, seven assists, or something like that. He's had a very similar impact when he's been healthy this season. But A, he hasn't been healthy as often. And B, they're just not as dangerous as a team when Hungman wow. Sun's playing. Like, he's not dynamic anymore. He's not getting himself into those scoring positions. Like, And plus, it's hard for him because he's not getting the same kind of service either. That midfield's terrible. That's yeah. probably my biggest gripe with the Conte system is that you know he plays those two midfielders usually for for Tottenham in the middle and it's like their job is just basically to run and fucking hack people like yeah. I either way um I agree with you they're not making the they're not making the top six Manchester United's probably the most interesting of all the teams that are kind of in mm-hmm. flux right now I'm obviously I've been a pretty big critic of them mostly because I think they have really annoying fans um but not not all but some of them are pretty no they are and i and I, I i like to bust their balls a little bit but um i mean they look great today was a little today was tough but like let's be real you're allowed to have a couple of those matches they look like they have an identity like if you look at the game the way they approach the game against uh, manchester city like Manchester City just played the game that they've been the type of style that they've been playing forever. And they just had those midfielders, Casemiro, obviously beast in that game. Fred was honestly really good. Even Erickson, just like cutting out those passing lanes to get to Holland. They know exactly what they were going to do. They executed it perfectly and they found a way to win that game. They've been finding way to win ways to win almost every game, every game. Um, Credit to 10 hog. I think, I think they finish. I'd say third place. What do you think? I agree. Um, and, and we'll talk about Newcastle, but I'm going to get to the, them right next. The yeah. Glazers got so lucky with Eric Ten Hag. I don't think people realize that no. he he is a phenomenal manager in terms of, again, like we talked about being ruthless with, with the players that are there, but Oh my God, like they got so lucky. He's, he is a great manager and he, you can see a clear identity of the team. Um, and you can see what they're building towards now. They've done a good job of getting dead weight. 
Cristiano Ronaldo out, and and it clearly it didn't matter because that could you tell me like ten years ago that Cristiano Ronaldo was going to leave Man United in disgrace? Like what? We could have a whole episode, and maybe we should on just everything that happened there, starting with him leaving Juventus. I think we have to start the story. Of and I'm not just saying this because I'm biased. Like, let's be real about it. You have to start it off by, okay, his last season at Juventus, he doesn't play the last game. In that last game, Juventus has to win to make the Champions League. They win anyways. They score four goals. Um, plays waits all off season, trains with these guys. He yeah. plays some preseason matches where we saw that trio up top with. Chiesa, Ronaldo, Dybala looked awesome, looked exciting. Played a game for you they that year. Exactly. Comes <laughs> like, in, plays, scores, gets called offside, and this only game that he plays leaves. Goes to Manchester United that crazy. season. So just kind of disgraced himself with Juventus, even though Juventus fans are a little bit delusional and they like to mm-hmm. think that he was some sort of savior for us, yeah. um, which is interesting. But either way, comes to Manchester United. Honestly, has a great first year. I think people were being a Good little year. bit criti- critical of him. Won like, a lot of games for that. A lot won a of lot. games. Huge impact for them. They weren't a very good team. I think he was just mentally done this this second year. And then he they got a coach that was just not going to deal with his, his ego. And by the yeah. way, like he, he wasn't worth being paid 26.5 million euro a season. So either way. They moved on perfectly. I think that they're going to finish in third place. And the team that I think is going to compete for third place with them and will finish in fourth. And the reason I don't, I say that they're going to finish in fourth and not third. is just because like, if you look at the way Newcastle, the team I'm I'm referring to has Mm. played, like they've drawn, I think like eight games. So with their style of play, I feel like they're just going to find a way to sneak in. But I love what they're doing over there, and I love what oh, Eddie has God, doing over brilliant. there. Love watching them. What have been your overall thoughts? Uh, same thing. I mean, they, again, have a lot of money, have invested a lot of money, but I don't think people – I don't think the, the conversation around Eddie Howe is large enough right now. No, um, I agree. He, he has been a great coach over his career. I, like Even at Bournemouth, right? Bournemouth are a tiny, tiny club. And he was able to promote them multiple divisions, get them to the Premier League, get them the heights they would never see without the investments that he's getting now. So now he's yeah. being backed by the market, and you can see just how good of a coach he is. I mean, Miguel Almiron was looked like a big flop for them when they signed him. Since Best player in the Premier League. <laughs> and he's unreal this year. So you could just see how well of a manager he is by how he's affecting the players who have already been there and not True. been performing. And now they're getting the financial backing. Um, I think I, I really enjoy the way Newcastle play. Um, oh, as I said, is a very good manager, but like you have to give them a lot of credit for what they've done. Um, the fans I know are incredibly excited, but I, I awesome fans. They deserve this. Yeah, they deserve this. I mean, they've had some really, you, you made an awesome point about why is he a great coach? A look at the results. B Look at how he's elevated everybody on this team. Like, dude, 
Joel Anton, I think he had a little hit a little accident uh, well, recently. Joel so. was playing forward, and now he's like the best he, midfielder slash. Literally, like, he's brought out a totally it. different game out. He's brought a totally different game out of him. Kieran Trippier is the best right back this season awesome. in the Premier League, from what I can see. Um, they got Nick Pope for like twelve million. He's England's best keeper. Yeah, I was gonna say Nick Pope is gonna be starting for England soon, and then I think it kind of just goes without saying. Like, dude, they've given up eleven goals this season yeah. for all we've talked about and to be fair Manchester United like I think a lot of the goals like they gave up six goals to Manchester City at one point like a lot of this came early in the season but like we've talked about how much more compact they are um they've given up 22 goals just to put it into yeah. perspective for you like Newcastle have actually scored I think it's three more goals than Manchester United have well, I'm gonna confirm this yeah, they literally it is three. They've literally scored three more goals than Manchester United have scored, and they've given up half the goals. So I think they're going to have a great shot. I don't know if they get as many points as Manchester United, but ultimately they're going to hang in there and get and claim that four spot. Tottenham mathematically is in that uh, what's it called spot right now, that fifth spot. I doubt it. I, I just see the that is a ticking time bomb. Ticking only, time bomb. The only thing I could possibly say for them is that Kane's still a great player. I don't like doubt Son. I doubt based on the form and like the just yeah. the inc- the overall inconsistency that we see. I guess consistency being inconsistent um, from Son, and then like uh, the only argument I could say is that like Kulusevski was out for two months and they looked brutal. From an yeah. attacking perspective, Without they were just him. hurling in crosses and like hoping for the best and shit housing wins when they could get them. Like now, he brings a totally different dynamic to that attack. Um, you can see, even you can see in that last game against Arsenal, like they really rely on him to like they shoot, do they something with goals. the ball. No, they absolutely. Well, they should have, but they didn't start playing well until they were losing. My, I was gonna say the problem is that they didn't start playing until the second half. But every time, e- either way, that could probably be their only hope. I think Liverpool ultimately nicks that fifth spot. I, I just it's my faith in Klopp overall that kind of gets them there, and I think they still do have like a few players that are going to have some moments to spring them forward. Um, so I'll predict that they get that fifth spot. I'm going with Brighton to get the sixth spot over Chelsea. Yeah. I just think, and we talked about it, like ad nauseum about Chelsea and their situation, right? Like Brighton have an awesome situation right now. It's so rare to have had a team get built by this coach. The coach leaves and you replace him with another guy who's equally as competent. Like, yeah. Amazing situation for them. It literally it took a couple of games of getting used to it, but we've seen they ripped up Chelsea, they ripped up Liverpool. They can do it to any team in the Premier League. I'm very confident of it. It'll be interesting go- to see what happens this window because I know a lot of their players are linked to leave, and that obviously happens with any good young yeah. team. So, but I I wholeheartedly think they should be sending it in terms of trying to finish as best they can in the league right yep. now. Final question. Arsenal going to win the Premier League. I – so what? It's How many points at the top right now? Seven? Well, I guess Man United yeah, – No, they, have, a, they so have an eight-point gap. Eight-point gap? They have an eight-point gap. And keep in mind, there's an eight-point no gap between them and Man United, but they have a – Arsenal and Man City have a game in hand. Game so. in hand. And, like, no team has gotten this many points and lost the league. 
I think Arsenal does it. I think it'll be more so that Man Man City lose it than Arsenal win it. Does that make right? Right? Like oh, totally. I, well, I, that's been what's happened this year. I'm, to their yeah. credit, Arsenal played awesome this season. I think the only big game that they lost was Manchester United. Um, yep. In the end of the day, they're still they're winning all the games that they should. They're getting it done. I mostly I agree with you. I think they do get. I think they do win the Premier League. It's probably more. It, I don't want to. I don't want to make this sound disparaging because I think it's insane that they're already like gonna win a Premier League Arsenal. Yeah. I think that's amazing. Like for what they've been building, that's way they're way ahead of schedule, right? But I think they only win the Premier League because Man City isn't gonna figure it out in time how to play, how to get the most out of the team that they have. And the rest of the competition just isn't there. So I also think Man City, Pep's had some interesting quotes. Like, I don't think they care about winning the league. Is like, that true, I, though? Not, not that was they bullshit. Don't care, but, like, I I think Pep, like, knows he's, like, he, he has to know that he has to win the Champions League or else he's always going to be considered a fraud, right? I, I think so. That's obviously his number one goal. But don't you feel like him saying that, like, right after the game is just a, a way yeah, Oh, my game. God. It's, it's, oh, we you, were never you, competing. He always comes up with that BS. Pep, say whatever you want. The guy is, like, highly fucking motivated. And he's, like, every – he doesn't go to the press and yell like Klopp does. Like, somebody mm-hmm. asks Klopp a question that he doesn't – he's like, dumb question. What a dumb question. I can't believe yeah. I have to deal with these things. Like – he does that. So many different managers have done that. I'm not trying to make it like only him, but Pep's way of doing that is being like sarcastic and saying things um, that like some people can't detect. But like to me, I know when he's like, we can't win. Get win every year. Get win it every year. He's like, Premier League and Carabao Cup. You can't win it every year. It's like, I I know he's but, but you did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Dude, the answer is that's what I was gonna say. The answer is yes, you can. When you have the team yeah. that you have and the competition's so bad, Chelsea's not getting there, Liverpool's not getting there, yeah. and United's building back up. Newcastle's in fourth place, Tottenham's not good. You should smash everybody. You shouldn't have to be, compete yeah. with Arsenal in the in this front three where like most of these players are under 22 years old. Like, don't get me that. Like you should be winning. You're mad about it. I think it was just an excuse. I do agree with you, though. Like, now that things are looking a little lost for him, he's going full yeah. fucking throttle to train for the Champions League with his team, getting them on that mm-hmm. mindset, whether that's right or wrong. But either way, yeah. I, Arsenal are winning the league. Like, it'll be interesting to see what happens after that if they can continue to sustain success. Sustain success. But again, this is a lesser season in terms of where the rest of the big six is yeah like half four of four of the teams are in transition so like good for arsenal for taking advantage and and they have done a fantastic job now can you continue that success going forward which is what everyone's goal is and uh, it looks very much like they're going to be able to do that we'll see we've seen crazier things but a lot of these guys are really good really consistent for their age and and they got really young really young they've got a lot of players under 25 years old that are starting right now. I think Odegaard's even like just above 25. What's he, 26 years old? Dude, but he, he might he's be been, 
one of the best midfielders in the whole world this season. So 24 years old, by the way, that's scary. (laughs) He went to Real Madrid at like 18, 17. It's been a while. And they didn't want him. Yikes. Dude, uh, you could say that on a lot of players who were at Madrid at one point. (laughs) Well, they they keep on chugging. So that's the story of this game. All right, Jack Patel, thank you so much, dude. This was an awesome episode. I really, really appreciate you jumping on. So last minute here. It was awesome to shoot the shit with you, man. Uh, A pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.